The following audio is from Story City Church in Burbank, California. For more information on Story City, go to storycitychurch.com. Well, good morning, church family. For those of you who don't know me, my name is Craig. Um, hey, thank you. Yeah, that's, that's the name my mother gave me. I didn't pick it, but it's a great name. Uh, if you have a Bible this morning, we're going to be in Luke chapter 15, 1 5. Luke 15, we're going to be continuing our study of the parables. And we're going to be looking at one of the most popular parables Jesus ever told. And I'm excited because it's my it's my personal favorite. So if you can't tell from my New England demeanor, like I am just thrilled to be preaching this parable this morning. Like this is this is as excited as my body will physically allow me to be. But like on the inside, I am jumping up and down. I love, love this parable. God used this parable in my own life to turn my world upside down. And my prayer for you this morning as I've been preparing is that God would do that for you as well. See, here's the thing. A lot of us believe this. A lot of us believe that the gospel just kind of makes God okay with us. Jesus is just all right with us. Thank you. Yeah. You guys, are, you guys are a great crowd. But this parable blows that out of the water. This parable doesn't just say that Jesus is okay with you. you can, it's okay to live out on the fringes with God. No, this parable invites you. It invites you into God's heart. So we're looking at the parable that's often been called the prodigal son, And the message that we're going to get today is we're going to try to see a different side of God. We're after his heart this morning. That's my prayer for you today. So historically, this parable has often been called the prodigal son. And I'm not calling it that this morning because I think that name is a little misleading. This isn't the story of a prodigal son. This is the story of two prodigal sons. And it's important that we note that right at the beginning because by comparing and contrasting the sons, we really see God's heart in this. And, and the other thing that we need to do, what Jesus invites us to do, this is responsive theater. He's telling a story and he's asking you to identify with a character. Because I don't know you, but every single person in this room is one of the two sons. One of the sons, he's the wild child. He's the guy that gets the Mike Tyson tattoo on his face, doesn't ask questions about it, just does it. He just goes, he's woken up in Canada a few times, has no idea how he got there. And then he has this brother who's super annoying and is a party pooper. And a room this size, there's both of those here. And there's good news for both of you. The good news of this is whether you're an older brother or you're a younger brother, come home to a father who loves forgiving you. Let me say that again because I don't think you got it. Doesn't, God doesn't like forgiving you. He doesn't forgive you because he's obligated to. He doesn't forgive you out of some kind of, uh, you know, guilt or anything like that. God forgives you because he loves forgiving you. It's the joy of heaven. So we need to set up a little bit of context for this, for this uh, parable before we can actually see that. So if you open your Bibles to Luke 15, if you start in verses 1 and 2, we see the setting for this parable. Luke 15, 1 and 2. Now the tax collectors and sinners were all drawing near to hear him, and the Pharisees and scribes grumbled, saying, This man receives sinners and eats with them. And we need to pause there before we look at the rest of the parable. What's going on here is this. Jesus is is hanging out with the worst of the worst. People that the religious leaders would have said, them? What, what, What are you doing hanging out with them? 
But he's not just hanging out with them. Like we miss this a little bit. That word that says this man receives sinners, that word is used throughout Luke's gospel and it's used to describe people who are anxiously looking forward to the Messiah's coming and when he gets here, they drop everything they have and they receive him. That's what this is saying. Jesus wasn't just hanging out on a park bench and a sinner came and sat beside him and he's like, Oh, hey, what you eating? No, no, Jesus was excited. He went out looking for sinners. He loved hanging out with these people, and it drove the religious leaders crazy. And so what this parable starts with is an accusation. They look right at Jesus, and they say, hey, you claim to be God, come for us. We know things about God, okay? We've got this Old Testament memorized. All right, God dwells in unapproachable light. So what are you doing hanging out with those people? So picture the scene here with the tax collectors and sinners on his left and the Pharisees and scribes on his right, Jesus is, is, receives this condemnation and it can get a little awkward. What's he supposed to say? Oh yeah, yeah, guys, I forgot. Get out of here. Or what's he supposed to do? Like, yeah, God isn't holy. This, is, this question, this parable arises out of the very nature of God. Who is God? What's he like? How's he gonna treat us? And Jesus cool as a cucumber under condemnation, tells a story. He tells a story where he invites both the tax collectors and sinners and the hypocrites, the Pharisees, to see themselves and to see how God treats them. And what he's really saying in this, in this parable is this. He's saying, hey, Pharisees, you've missed the point altogether. You think you're here for the integrity of the faith, but you don't even know the heart of God. God loves forgiving sinners. And that's good news for us in this room today, because this is a room that's full of younger brothers. How do I know that? Come on, this is LA, baby. <laughs> Y'all left Ohio, Florida. You came here to sow your wild oats. You are partying, and some, for some of you, the party is over. What do you do? Do you go home to a God who's like, told you so? What an idiot. No. You get to go home. The invitation for you this morning is to come home to a God who is looking for you. He's excited. He runs out to you. But I know that in a room this size, we're not all just younger brothers. There are some of us in here who are older brothers, all right? We know a lot about the Bible. We never got drunk in college, we didn't sleep around. We're super holy, and we just, we're just looking for that opportunity to tell you. Please ask me how righteous I am. Ask me how much I know about the Bible. I know a lot, all right? There's good news for us older brothers out there, okay? Jesus, Jesus treats us a little differently. Throughout the New Testament, whenever Jesus reaches out to um, sinners, he's really gracious. Think about the woman at the well. He comes to her in grace, but he's really harsh with the religious leaders. Why? Because the message for the younger son is this. Hey, come home to a father who loves you. He's excited to forgive you. He wants to forgive you. The message for us older brothers is this. Hey, admit it. Just admit it. You need what he needs. So we're going to look at this father today. And whether you're here and you're a, you're a younger brother or you're an older brother, you're going to get to see a God who leaves the party to invite you in. All right? So let's read this parable I'm going to take a drink of water before I pass out. <laughs> but if I, have, if I pass out, I have a pass out crew. You guys said last week that if I pass out, you're on it. So, all right. 
Here we go. Luke 15, starting in verse 11. And he, Jesus, said, There was a man who had two sons. The younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the share of my property that's coming to me. So he divided the property between them. Not many days later, the younger son gathered all he had and took a journey to a far country. And there, he squandered his property on reckless living. And when he spent everything, a severe famine arose in that country, and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to one of the citizens of that country, who sent him in the fields to feed pigs. And he was longing to be fed with the pods that the pigs ate. And no one gave him anything. And when he came to himself, he said, How many of my father's hired servants have more than enough bread, but I perish with hunger? I'll arise and go to my father. And I'll say to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven and before you. I'm not worthy to be called your son. Treat me as one of your hired servants. And he arose and came to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and felt compassion and ran and embraced him and kissed him. And the son said, Father, I've I've sinned against heaven and before you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, Bring quickly the best robe, put it on him, and put a ring on his hand and shoes on his feet, and bring the fattened calf and kill it, and let us eat and celebrate For this my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. And they began to celebrate. Now his older brother was in the field. And as he came and drew near to the house, he heard music and dancing. And he called one of the servants and asked what these things meant. And he said to him, Your brother has come, and your father has killed the fattened calf because he received him back safe and sound. But he was angry and refused to go in. His father came out and entreated him, but he answered his father, Look, these many years I've served you, and I've never disobeyed your command, but you never gave me a young goat that I can celebrate with my friends. But this son of yours came, and he devoured your your property with prostitutes. You killed the fattened calf for him. And he said to him, Son, you're always with me, and all that is mine is yours. It was fitting to celebrate and be glad. For this, your brother was dead and is alive. He was lost and is found. This is the parable of the prodigal son. And it starts in two acts. There's act one, the father and his younger son. After we understand that, we're going to look at act two, the father and his older son. Let's first look at act one the father and his younger son. And this is what you younger sons in here need to pay attention to. This is the message of act one of this parable. Before you're amazed at the father's grace, you need to see the son's shame. Let me say that again. Before you're amazed, amazed at his grace, you need to come to grips with, you need to see the son's shame. And by extension, you need to see and face your own shame. Now, I get it. I, we're talking about shame here. And I understand that how authority figures, especially how religious authority figures have treated you in the past is often how you relate to God. So when I talk about shame here and wanting you to come to grips with your shame, 
I, just like this parable, we're not bringing up your shame to make you feel bad. Shame is just a reality that all of us live in. And the text is asking us to face that. The text is asking us to just admit it. Like we all have standards for ourselves, even if they're not God's standards. We all have these, a list of the person we want to be, the things we want to do, and we fall short. And there's, for a lot of us, there's this residue of shame that we walk around with and we don't know what to do with it. This parable gives you the antidote for what to do with it. But before we know what to do with it, because you, like the younger son here, you're going to come up with a plan. Like we all do that with our shame. Oh, I feel terrible. I'm just going to distract myself by binge watching Netflix. Like I'm just going to ignore this shame, okay? Like it's real. I get it. I messed up. I've sinned. I know I shouldn't have done that. Let's just distract myself. Huffington Post it up. I'll just read a million articles and I'll forget I'm ashamed. Or some of you, you, you plan to do what this younger son did. You're like, I'm going to go and I'm going to work. I'm going to work it off. I messed up, but here's what I'm going to do. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do eight things that were way more awesome than my one little thing. I'm going to make myself feel better. But when we're honest about our shame, we know none of that works. But we're offered something better here. So let's look at that. So this story, let's be honest, is a really embarrassing story, both for the father and the son. You see, this, this son comes and makes an entreaty to his father. He says, hey, I'm tired of waiting for you to die. Like, just give me my inheritance now, and I'm out of here. I am, I'm, I'm out of your hair. Leave me alone. I want to go party it up. Now, to our 21st century American culture, that's not super shocking. Indulgent parents are a dime a dozen. But in this context, this would have been incredibly shameful. So we have writings from rabbis from this day that give you a prescription of what to do when an idiot son comes and asks for the inheritance early. You beat him up. You kick him out of the house. Like, that would have been the honorable thing to do. How dare you? Get out! But no, the father doesn't do that. He indulges the son. And this would have been really costly for this father. He didn't have stock options. He didn't have a money market account. His, his wealth wasn't liquid. He had land. He had property. And in this day and age, when you had two sons, inheritance worked like this. The older son gets two-thirds, and the younger son gets one-third of all your possessions when you die. So that means this father had to get rid of a third of his land, third of his livestock, third of his wealth, and give it all to his son. That would have cost the father something. That would have cost the father social capital. He wouldn't be able to hang out with the same friends he used to because, well, he's embarrassing. He, didn't, he had this idiot son, and he gave him his wealth, and now he's a little bit poorer. He had to move into a different neighborhood. He's driving a Prius instead of his Benz. <laughs> so there's shame here, and the son is completely oblivious to it. He's like, give me what's mine, I'm out. And the Pharisees and the, the tax collectors are listening, and they're identifying. One, one group is saying, okay, okay, what's going to happen next? What's going to happen next? And the other group is listening and saying, crush him, crush this son. So the son goes out, and the shame, he's in this downward spiral of shame. First, he makes this crazy request. He gets it for some reason. He goes out, and he spends all his money. And it sounds like he spent his money really fast. Then he finds himself all alone and hungry, so he goes out and gets a job as a pig farmer. Now, 
for those of you who don't have uh, manual labor jobs, that sounds terrible. But for this context, that would have been another shameful thing. Israeli boys did not want to grow up to be pig farmers. They could be any type of farmer, uh, a corn farmer, an avocado farmer, a fig farmer, a cow farmer, but they could not be pig farmers. Or I don't know what I just said, but you get it. They couldn't be pig farmers. Pigs were unclean animals. And so this son is just adding shame on top of shame on top of shame. And the, the tax collectors and sinners are like, what's he going to do with that shame? What does he do? And the Pharisees are like, crush him, crush him, kill him. And what does Jesus say happens next? The son comes up with a plan. Okay, I know what I'm going to do. So many of my father's hired hands, they have it better than I do. I'm going to go back and be one of those hired hands. Now, what's he saying here? It, it sounds like a decent idea, but it's really stupid. This, what this son is saying is, I'm going to become an indentured servant to my dad. So what indentured servitude was in this day is if I, owed, uh, if I owed you money, I could sell myself into slavery and then work and not get any wages until basically my work paid for what I messed up. Th that wasn't a really great way to get ahead in the world, and there's no way, no way this son could have paid back all he owed his father. But he's going to try. He's broken by sin, his party's over, he's got this shame looming over him, and he's like, you know what? I'm gonna try to fix this. So he goes back to his father, which, which would have been the longest walk of shame in his life. This guy, think about it, he's going back to a neighborhood where no doubt everybody knows his story, and he's gotta walk right through town to his father's house. He's dirty, he might be naked, he smells like pigs, he definitely has no shoes, and he's gotta, he's gotta do this walk because he, he's, he has nowhere else to turn. He's been completely broken by sin. Now what's the next thing that Jesus says happens to these younger brothers? They come home, and what happens? When you come home to the father, he treats you like royalty. I don't know about you. Have you ever had to apologize to a parent and this is the reaction that they give you? Like, hey, I messed up. I'm really sorry. Um, I, I did crash the car and it was my fault. I'm sorry. You're right. You're sorry. That was really stupid. You open yourself up. You're a little bit vulnerable. And that person that you're vulnerable to just like leans into that, puts their thumb right on the wound. That's what this son was doing. And you know what? To be honest, he deserved some pain. And that's what the Pharisees are rooting for. They're like, yeah, here it's coming. This is going to be his day in court. You're all you sinners and tax collectors, you think he got away with it, but he didn't. He didn't. And then what happens? The son is supposed to go on this walk of shame. But what happens? The father runs out to meet him. Now, here's what's important about that. Jewish patriarchs don't run. I'm not going to lie, I was not expecting that result at all. <laughs> Here's the thing. You're wearing, you're wearing these huge robes. You're royalty. You're rich. This guy was super rich. You don't run. Running says, like, oh, I'm not in control. It's, like, not dignified. Also, it's really hard to run with huge robes. So this dad would have had to pick up this robe, show the world his pasty white chicken legs, and run to his son. So what everyone's expecting is, like, look at this walk. At, whoa. What's this dad doing? He took his son's shame. As soon as he came home, too, he didn't make him wait. 
That's how some of us live. We mess up, we sin before God, and we're like, okay, I sinned, I'm just gonna, I'll wait here, God. You just, you take care of this, okay? Like, I, I'll, I'll just live with this, like, you know, low-level recurring shame here. I'll wait in the doghouse. No, what, God, what the message of this parable is, is that he ran and he took his shame right away. Repentance is this. Repentance is not you finding God and working your way to him. Repentance is God finding you. God found this son. This son was a mess. He, he deserved to have the book thrown at him. But instead, his father comes out and gives him more stuff. The son's like, hey, dad, give me your stuff. I'm out. And he comes back, and the son's like, give him the best robe. We're slaying the fatted calf. He doesn't have shoes. Somebody get shoes. Let's put a ring on him. Let's, let's clothe this guy in what he doesn't deserve. And why? Why? Why does the father do this? Is he just, is he sick? No. These three, Jesus tells three parables here. The lost sheep, the lost coin, and the two lost sons. And at the end of the parable of the lost coin, we get a clue into why God does this. This is that clue right here. This is Luke 15, 10. Jesus, Jesus says this, Just so I tell you, there is joy before the angels of God over one sinner who repents. I don't know about you, I grew up in Sunday school, and I always heard that that verse means that when a sinner repents, there's a party. Angels are partying in heaven. It's really cheesy. It's also not what the text says. <laughs> when you repent, angels don't party in heaven. Don't mean to burst any bubbles, sorry. I tell you, there is joy before the angels of God. Who's before the angels of God? God. There is joy. He likes this. He loves this. He loves when sinners come to him and say, hey, I'm dirty. And what does he do with that shame? What does he do? When they just admit, hey, I tried making this work and it didn't work. What does he do? Does he say, yeah, you did try to make it work. You are an idiot. Live out here in the shed. And for the rest of your life, we'll talk about how you're an idiot and how great I am. No, he takes the shame the son deserves. That's the gospel of Jesus Christ. On the cross, Jesus took your sin, your shame. You deserved it. I deserved it. You're a mess. I'm a mess. But he took that shame and he gave you something better. He gave you, he gave you the right back to be a child of God. He made you royalty. What does God think of his son? He loves his son. When he introduces Jesus to the world, the heavens literally open up. A, uh, a dove comes down and a voice from heaven says, hey, world, look. This is my much-loved son. In him, I am well-pleased. When younger sons come home, God doesn't see you and your shame. He sees his son. He clothes you in what his son should have. And he does it because he likes to. He loves doing this. Like, we don't live like that. We don't live like we really believe that. When you sin, what do you do? You run and hide from him. But he's saying, no, come to me. I love forgiving you. I'm here to treat you better than you deserve. And what else? He threw a party. The neighbors who for sure would have started talking about the son, he's like, come over, we're celebrating. We have a dance floor. God was not a Baptist. 
So he's like, hey, get out here and dance. We're celebrating my lost son. But not everybody was happy about this celebration. So we need to look to act two of this parable. The rest of you, the older brothers. What's really interesting about the older brothers, when we find him in this parable, we see that he's out in the field. He's not, he's, maybe he's working, but like this is unusual. It's unusual. And he looks really righteous. Like As he's introduced into the scene, you can no doubt say like the Pharisees are like, all right, here he is. Here's justice. Somebody's coming to make this crazy story right. See, the thing about being an older brother that we older brothers need to know is it's very subtle to be an older brother. When this, when this guy gives his speech, he looks really righteous. It's so subtle. And you know what? You know where the easiest place to hide is as an older brother? Church. But you know what Jesus says here? He lovingly, he lovingly, not to beat up the older brother, he has the same heart to the older brother that he has for the younger brother. He lovingly takes him aside and says, hey, you need to admit that you need what he has. So here's what we're gonna do. We're gonna, we're gonna ask ourselves, are we older brothers? The text gives us three clues to know if we're older brothers or not. The first one that we can see is that this older brother had no concern for his younger brother. The Pharisees of this day, um, they didn't evangelize, and they're actually kind of famous for it. Again, we have writings of Pharisees, and one of them says, um, they're talking about a certain city, and they say, the people that lived in this city were so wicked, they didn't even deserve to have the law read to them. So these people, they don't care about evangelizing. They care, what they think they're doing is protecting the integrity of the faith. And so that's the first sign that you're an older brother, is do you have concern for lost people around you? Or do you just, like, so you have a coworker who shows up hungover and is really annoying. Do you want that coworker to stop because they are annoying you? And like, oh, be like me. Come on, ship up or shape out. Or is your heart toward that coworker, hey, I've experienced this joy. Like, I have a God who loves forgiving me. And I want you to, I want you to know that too. I want you to experience that. What's your heart? Do you care at all about lost people in our city? The second thing that we see about uh, the older brother is they're suspicious of joy. When the older brother comes up to the party, he hears music and dancing, and he's, he finds that uh, servant. He's like, hey, what's this? What's going on? And the text says that he was kind of like berating the guy. What is this? See, here's the weird thing. Like, this guy is just out to lunch. He, not only does he not care about his younger brother, when they're celebrating the younger brother coming home, that should have been his first thought. Like, hey, I love my dad. My dad's really miserable that the younger brother's missing. Uh, there's a party. Maybe, two and two, younger brother's back. No, no, no. He's angry. He's suspicious, and he turns it into anger. Are you suspicious of other people's joy? especially people who don't deserve it. Like, oh, I see, I see so-and-so over there during church. She's raising her hands. She shouldn't be doing that. <laughs> That's not right. She's got business to do with God. <laughs> she shouldn't be, she should not be happy. <laughs> Suspicion of joy is a surefire way to know you're one of us. You're an older brother. 
The last, the last sign, the third sign that we know we're an older brother is you want people to notice how good you are. Do you hear how the older brother gives it away? Like at first, he's really subtle. Like, Dad, this guy spent all your money on hookers. Like, why are you killing more stuff? But then he says this, you didn't even give me a party. Like, what kind of loser goes to a party and is like, where's my party? Like, this guy, <laughs> younger brother, older brothers, if you're out here, you're annoying, and we love you, but you're like, you're, you're a burden, but we love you. These older brother, the older brother was just waiting to just be noticed for obeying. I've never, I've never disobeyed. I've been here. How come I don't get a party? But here's the other thing, too. He was upset. See, like we said earlier, in an inheritance, two-thirds of the possessions goes to the older brother, one-third goes to the younger. That means that everything that was left is technically the older brothers. The younger brother's inheritance is gone. So everything that's left is coming to him. He's mad. This is my stuff. That's my cow. That's my cloak. This is mine. That's the heart of the younger brother. That's what's underneath older brothers right there. Self-righteousness. Self-righteousness is this. Self-righteousness is thinking that you can achieve forgiveness from God and acceptance by God through your obedience to God. And why would you do this? Ultimately, for self-glorification. That's what we older brothers all want. We want to be the good guy. We don't need a, we don't need a savior. We don't need a hero. Look at it. Everyone needs to be like me. Like I'm just, I'm just going through life waiting to be noticed. I'm super godly. And then you know what happens? The father leaves the party. Just like he left his house to come out for his son, he leaves the party to come out for the older brother. And he says, I love you. You know that I love you. Come in. Come back. See that? There's grace even for us older brothers. For the younger brother, the, the message is this. Hey, come home to a father that loves to forgive you. For us self-righteous older brothers, it's this. Hey, admit it. Admit your lost too. That's what the point of this whole parable is. And then you know what happens? Jesus doesn't tell us what like, the ending is. He just ends the parable. But if you know the gospel of Luke, you can finish the parable. This is how the parable really ends. Son, come inside. No, Dad. Okay. And so the father turns around, heads inside, and the older brother picks up a rock, and he chases that father down, and he beats him to death. See, you know who that, that father really is? It's Jesus. And this was one of the parables that got Jesus killed. Self-righteousness can't stand Jesus because he's the one that gets the glory. He's the one that gets the praise, not you. It's really serious to be an older brother. Not many of us get saved. We don't. Why? Because we don't like admitting we need something. But that's, that's the message here for you older brothers is this. Hey, please, Please come inside before it's too late.
So we've looked at both these brothers, and I really hope that this morning your opinion of God has changed. I hope that you don't live on the fringes anymore. I really hope that you're not someone who's saying, okay, like, God just kind of forgives me because he has to. Like, so I'll just, I'll confess my sins, I'll pray, and then he'll forgive me, and that's it. No, no, no. I hope, I hope you see God's heart in this parable, what Jesus is saying. It's the joy of heaven. You have a God who loves forgiving you. The gospel isn't the good news that you're off the hook. The gospel is the good news that you made this great exchange. You had shame and you were given robes and you're invited. We're throwing a party. This church, this gathering is one of those parties. We are broken people who come together to celebrate a savior who loves us and who gives us what we don't deserve. That's what we're doing here today. We're saying, Jesus, we are idiots. Like we've messed up our lives, but you fixed us. That's amazing. And we're here together singing and praising Jesus and offering him as hope. Not, begr- not begrudgingly, like, oh, hey, you know, you should stop. You should stop doing drugs and you should believe in Jesus. Like, that would be good for you, and I'm supposed to say that, so there you go. No, no, no. We have a, a message that people need to hear, that they have something they can do with their shame. They can't work it off, but they have a God who wants to take it away from them, to take the shame on himself, and that message that we have is called the gospel of Jesus Christ. You're here this morning because there's an invitation to you. If you're not a Christian and you're here, the invitation is this. Come home. Don't come home to an I told you so. Don't come home to an angry, grumpy dad who's just going to put up with you for the rest of your life. Come home to a father who's looking for you coming and he runs out and finds you. Come home. On the cross, Jesus took your shame and gave you his righteousness, and he did it because it makes him happy. He loves forgiving sinners and welcoming them home. It's the joy of heaven. Isn't that better than just trying to pretend everything's okay? If you're here this morning and you don't know Jesus, please talk to us. Matt, Tyler, myself, we'll all be here. We want to be available. That's why we're here for the gospel. Our lives have been changed by this message, and we want to help you meet this God who loves forgiving people. We want you to experience that joy today. I hope for those of you who here who are believers, your perception of God has changed. You see that you don't have a God who's like, all right, hey, you're saved, great, you're on your own, bye. No, you have a God who the same heart he had toward that prodigal when you first came home is the heart he has to the day he takes you to your ultimate home. You have a God who loves forgiving you, and that's what Jesus says with the story of the prodigal sons. Let's pray. Father, I thank you so much for this great exchange. The fact that sinners like me can be welcomed home and treated like we don't deserve. God, I pray that your word, the message of the gospel, would fuel our hearts today, God. I pray that we would go out and be lights in this city, Lord. You have us living here at such a time because we, you need people who are pointing to your son in this city, God. So I pray we'd point our neighbors to you, Lord. God, I pray that we would do it not out of duty and obligation, trying to earn something from you, but just like that son couldn't 
earn his way back into the Father's house. We would do this out of joy, God. God, you are the happy God, and I pray that people this morning would meet that happy God. Ask all these things in his powerful name. Amen.